good to see you this morning. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 14 as we continue in our series. Um, as we continue in our series, Christ Revealed. Um, and that is what this whole book is all about. <clears throat> and that's why it's called the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation of anything else but Jesus Christ. Because it's all about him and nobody else. It's all about Jesus. This whole book has to do with him. And so I'm so excited to be in this book. I mean, not that the Bible is not, but, but this portion, this portion of, 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 of the Bible, the book of Revelation, that is the title, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And so um, last week we took a look at three angels, and I kind of want to review somewhat. It's going to be a long little introduction before we get into into this next study, but we, we, we took a look at three angels, each having something to say. The first one had the message, the second one had the, an announcement, and the third had a warning. And that message that the first angel had was, fear God and worship Him. And that message went to all those who were still on the earth during the tribulation time. And like I said last week, I believe that, that this portion of Scripture that we are in right now, it's a parenthesis uh, chapter, but I believe that he's kind of looking at the end of the, the tribulation time. And this angel is given the job to preach the gospel for the very last time, I truly believe. And once again, we see the mercy of God on display, even through this difficult time in world history where it's all winding down, that we see the mercy of God to the very end because He is a loving God. He is truly a loving God, but He is a just God. And His Word will come to pass. Whether people believe it or not, it will come to pass. The next angel brings forth an announcement that the great city Babylon has fallen. And we just touched on Babylon because we'll, we'll, we'll learn more about it in future chapters. But religious Babylon, as I shared with you, has done evil in this world and it will uh, expand in that time frame. And he will make, or it will make, all the nations fall into spiritual fornication or spiritual idolatry. And judgment comes because of that. And the third angel had the warning, and that warning was to those who would worship the beast, his image, and receive the mark on their forehead or on their hand. And those who would do such a thing would be given a cup to drink. Now, it won't be a cup of tea. It won't be a strong cup of coffee, even. No, it will be the wine or the cup of the wine of the wrath of God. Now, with all that we have covered throughout this book already, if you've been with us, if not, you can go back and listen to all these messages. But with all that we have covered and will cover in this book, with the wrath that is to come upon this earth, I would not want to have or receive my very own cup of wrath. Not at all. Even right now, I don't want God's judgment. You know when people say, I just want justice. It's like, nah, 
I want mercy. I want, I want grace. Justice, uh-uh. I, re, knowing what the Bible says about justice and judgment, I don't want any of that. Jesus died on the cross for my judgment. He, he, my, judge was sin, my sin was judged on the cross. And thank you, Jesus, for that. He has extended his grace and his mercy. And so, once again, I don't want to receive any of that. And the description uh, of this wrath, if you will, it is that it would be poured out or given in full strength, unrestricted, undiluted, is, is what this wrath will look like. It's kind of like a, a, a strong espresso shot, you know, undiluted, you know, to the max. But it will be the wrath of God in full force. Now, some might think, even kind of going through this or reading through this, or knowing about the judgment to come, some might think, well, that's not really a big deal. I can handle it. And it's like, no, it's not for a day. It's not for a week. It's not for a month. It's forever. It is, truly is forever. And people don't quite comprehend that. That this is not a game that God is playing. God is so serious about all of this, guys. He's, he truly is. And for us as Christians, you know, those who, who, who have already received the grace of God and the mercy of God, again, this should challenge us. This should challenge us to reach the lost because we know what the Word of God says. And if you believe what the Word of God says, then you know that it will come to pass no matter what. Because it, 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 it has from, 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 from the past and it will to the future because He holds us. His, his word above his name. And so for us as Christians, this should break our hearts and desire to see others come to know him. And so this morning, we catch a glimpse of the harvest that is to come. The one that Jesus talked about when he was here on earth. The harvest that would come at the end of the age. And so now that you are in Revelation chapter 14, let's read the whole thing straight through. It says, Now <clears throat> I looked, and behold... A lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, <clears throat> like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their hearts. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth, was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink 
of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then another angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast or his image or who receive, whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandment of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Verse 14. Then I looked and behold a white cloud. And on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having in his hand a gold, or having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, "Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap for the harvest." Of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, who had power over fire, and cried with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for one hundred, for 1,600 furlongs. Father, as we read your word, Lord, as we've read this whole chapter, Lord God, right now I ask that you would pour out your spirit upon me to deliver the rest of this message, Lord, and help my brother's ears and hearts to be open to what you say. And so, Father, go before us right now in Jesus' name. Amen. It says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. John, John sees a white cloud, and the one who sits, who is sitting on it, looks like the Son of Man. And so it is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And I wonder if, as, as he sees this, and he sees the Son of Man once again, coming on the scene in this whole realm that he has seen, I'm wondering if he even has like flashbacks of when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. 
kind of seeing him this time kind of coming on, on a white cloud with a sharp sickle in his hand, however it is. I wonder if he remembers how he came into Jerusalem to save man from their sin. When that was the beginning of his work. Oh, he had been on the earth for, for quite a while already, but now he's going to die on the cross and, and the work begins to save mankind from their sins. And yet he sees them now in this stage riding on a, a, or, or coming in a white cloud and this time, this time he is about to get the job done. What he had started so long ago, he is about to finish in, in verse 14 as it says here. This time, John also sees a golden crown, which is quite different than the last time he's seen him with a crown on his head, which was a crown of thorns. This time, he, he has this, this, this winner's crown on him, a Stephanos crown, not a diadem, but a Stephanos crown for the victory that he is about to, to, to accomplish here. Again, quite different than what he remembered so long ago. You see, this time, it's because Jesus is coming for the harvest. So, so the scene here is that of harvest time. And it speaks about a specific time, about a time in which you have to act quickly. There is no time to waste at harvest time like this. There's only this small window of opportunity and, the, and timing is everything when it comes to harvesting. If you are a farmer in harvest time and you know that I am no farmer, I hate planting anything because you have to kind of take care of it. I don't mind the weeds because they die eventually, but be that as it may. If you know anything about harvesting, and so you read, so you know. I have a, I have a son-in-law who's in agriculture, and they, they do all this harvesting. And there's a small window of opportunity that you have when harvest time is coming. And, and, and it's no time to be lazy at harvest time. If, if you're a farmer like this, if you are into agriculture, and even if you have your little... Your, your, your little uh, garden at home and all that that you take care of that you tend to you know that you really can't be too lazy about it you you really can't put off until tomorrow because by that time those stupid birds they come in they eat everything right or the rabbits yes it's not a time if especially if you have this big old orchard or the big old vineyard or whatever it is it's no time to say you know what's a great time to go on vacation right now we should just pack everything up and let's, let's just take off for two weeks. Because you would be a fool to do that because you would lose everything that you've worked for. This harvest, this great harvest, you would, you would lose out. Because again, if you miss out or if you wait too long and you, and you miss that window of opportunity, your crops go bad. And then they're no good. And you lose everything. All the hard work that you put into it. And so time is of the essence. And even what we're looking at here, it is the perfect time. And time is of the essence to go and harvest all that, 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 that is ready to be harvested. Now you know, or you should know, 
that in order to have a harvest, you've had to put in some work before that. You, you can't just come in and harvest if you're the farmer. You know, granted, if you hire somebody, they come in and they harvest, no big deal. But you, the owner, the harvest, the, 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 the one who has been doing all the cultivating and doing all the hard work, in order to get that harvest, you have to put in the work. You've had to start somewhere. And this is where Jesus, again, going back to the Gospels, when we see him on the cross, is when he started the work to redeem man to himself so that the harvest will be plentiful. And so he has been tending to that work ever since. Jesus spoke about harvest time while he was here on earth. And it would be a time of harvest for those who are His. But it will also be a time of judgment for those who are not His in this harvest time. It says that He has a sharp sickle with Him. Now, a sickle is a harvesting tool. And it is to, to cut crops such as grass or wheat or that kind of stuff. Now, it, it has a, a long curved blade on it at the end of a pole. But there's also a handheld sickle. And you, you might be familiar with those. It's a little hand and then a, a kind of an a arch or a circle almost type of, type of tool that you would go and harvest. But, but the, the one that is being spoken of here more than likely is a scythe. As I looked it up in the internet. And it looks more like the Grim Reapers kind of tool. It's longer and it has a bigger blade. But this one, it's not like the Grim, Grim Reaper. It's, it's, it's one that, that, that has some pegs on it. And I was watching the video of these guys who, who use this kind of a sickle, the scythe, that, that just the motion of just kind of coming in and you're, 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 get, you're covering a wide space as you're going like this. And it, it's much better than the handheld one that you have to bend over and it's like doing all that stuff. It's like, ah, forget that one. But the way this harvest is taking place, it's almost like he is gathering in as much as he possibly can. And so I believe more than likely it is the, the, more of the, the scythe, uh, the larger one, to, to reap a larger area. And it says that, that it is a sharp sickle. And it implies that it will be rapid, swift, and quick. Because of the sharpness of it. It's not dull. It's not going to, it's not going like, uh, uh, uh. it's just like in one fell swoop. He, he, he will be able to reap or gather in all who are his, which is amazing to me. When, when you think of, of just this whole gathering in, that, that in, in one fell swoop, he will be able to, to gather in all of his harvest. Because the window of opportunity is there. And it says that the earth is ripe for harvest. One, one of the times in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus was talking about harvest, he is telling his disciples that the harvest was ready and it was plentiful. But he says, but the, but the workers are few. The workers are few. And that's in Matthew 9, 36 to 39. 
And, and, and it says that he, he looked out at the multitude. And, and it says that, that, that he had compassion on the multitude because they looked like, like sheep that had no shepherd. He said, but they're not enough workers to go and, and harvest these people in and bring them in. See, when he was talking about that harvest, that would be an ongoing harvest because there's always the multitude that need to be brought into the kingdom of God. That, that would be the type of harvest that, 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 that we as Christians are, are, are commissioned <laughs> to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. See, that's, that's the type of harvest that says, hey, there's so many people that need me. They look like lost sheep having no shepherd, but I need workers because those people are ready to come into the kingdom of God. And so that is an ongoing harvest that Jesus was talking about. This harvest that is being talked about here has to do with the final harvest. The one right before or right at the time of Armageddon. At the, at the finale of this whole thing, right? Jesus spoke about this one in the parable of the terrors among the wheat in Matthew chapter 13. If you want, we're going to go to Matthew and stay in Matthew 4 a little bit, a couple times. And then we'll come back to our text. So you can go over to Matthew chapter 13. I want to read to you the parable of the tares among the wheat, and the explanation that he gives to his disciples about this whole final judgment. In Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24, says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like the man who sows good seed in the field. But while he slept, his enemy came and sowed terrors among the wheat and went, out and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the terrors also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have terrors? He said to them, An enemy has done this. And the servants said to him, Do you want us then to go out, to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barns. Now, if, if you jump over to verse 36, he gives the explanation of this parable. In verse 36, then Jesus said, sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the terrors of the field. Jesus answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the terrors are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. 
the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the terrors are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This parable that Jesus is sharing is talking about how he himself, the son of man, planted the good seed into this world. And that good seed produced uh, uh, or into the world, uh, sons of the kingdom. These are the ones that follow after him. And that one day he will come and gather them up to himself. But the enemy, the devil, also came and he planted his own. Counterfeits, if you will. <laughs> In those days, Though that, that would be the terrors. But in those days, it was my understanding, it was a common practice that, that, that in those days, um, the enemies, or, or should I say that, that it was common for the wicked, that they just could not see a good man succeed because they were lazy. And they would go and destroy somebody else's plantation or, or, or whatever he was growing. Just, just to be mean, <laughs> just to be wicked. I, I believe that Jesus, in our text, is talking about believers, and Satan comes along and puts in there lookalikes. Those who, who look like believers, talk by, like believers, act like believers even, and are not. And that's what he's kind of talking about in the parable. Because at the end of the age, he will come and harvest everything. There will be those among the believers. And, and, and he, somehow he's going to be able to separate them. Now, the wheat and the tares, they look very much alike as, as they're beginning to sprout, as they're beginning to grow. And again, you can Google these things and look at the images there. And as they grow, they, they, they look amazingly alike. There's such a resemblance between the two. But it's not until the head or the fruit of both is revealed that you can truly tell which is which. The wheat is yellow or golden in color, whereas the tares are much darker, even blackish in color. I was looking at, at one of the pictures, and it said on there as they had the two side-by-sides, Wheat bows down when it's ready, whereas terrors, they stand tall. I thought, what a wonderful picture of what it looks like, humility and pride. Wheat can be used for so much to nurture and to grow and to help, whereas the terrors are poisonous. Again, a, a, another picture of the difference between the two. 
Now, if you're still in the Gospel of Matthew, turn over to chapter 25. Because in chapter 25, he gives us another picture of how or, or what it will look like at the end of the harvest and how he separates the two, the wheat and the tares, basically. Those who are his and those who are not his. And he will make no mistake when he makes this separation. And so in Matthew 22 or 25, beginning in verse 31, then the Son of Man, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his, ho- of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and came to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it, To one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he also will also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will say to, uh, they will answer him, saying, "Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you?" Then he will answer them, saying, "Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me." And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. When we go back to our text in Revelation chapter 14, this harvest has to do with the believer and the unbeliever. The thrusting of the sickle will reap the whole earth, and it will be that quick. And it will be that precise, that accurate, and that clear cut. However he does it. <laughs> you know, we might think, but, but what if? What, it's like, it won't be no what ifs. Here is the righteous God, our King, Jesus Christ, the one who comes in glory. And he will reap what he has planted. And he will separate the two because he is that good <laughs> and that 
omniscient. In verses 17 through 19, it says, it says, another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust it into, or thrust in your sharp sickle, and gather the cluster of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth, and gathered the, the vine of the earth, and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Now we have another sharp sickle. But this time it's an angel who has it in his hand. And has nothing to do with the first harvest that we, ha- we just covered. It's two different harvestings that are, are happening. This is, this is vintage time. This is a different type of harvest, that of grapes. And it is time for more judgment. It's Armageddon time, basically. So the scene is more earthly. And more than likely, it takes place within the nation of Israel. This is talking about the time when the world will come against God. And we know from Revelation 16, 16, it says, And they gathered themselves together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon which is the mountain of Megiddo, which overlooks the plain of Jezreel. And Zechariah 12.11 refers to the plain of Jezreel as the plain of Megiddo. So now we, we, we can get the picture here of the, of the world being like grapes that are, are fully ripe. And it is vintage time. It, it, it is the perfect time. For this judgment. And they will. They will get the most. At this perfect time. They will get the most out of. These grapes that are fully ripened. Now it's not very hard to imagine. Grapes that are fully ripened. Oh they might be a little tough. But you put enough pressure on them. And splat. Right. So you, it's, it's not hard to imagine something like that happening and and getting smashed wine comes out and there's no escaping a wine press once you're in it (laughs) again googling wine presses (laughs) i do a lot of googling when i'm studying because again you're, you're seeing these these vats and what happens you know when they start bringing the pressure down and the spout that, that's coming out, and all of a sudden, and again, when you have these red, red grapes that are so ripe, it looks like blood. It truly does. Or when they're smashing them, the other kind of wine press, that they're smashing them on their feet, and they're just, it looks like Lucy and, 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 and Ethel, right? When they're smashing all the grapes, all the blood. But there's no escaping. There's no escaping this kind of wine press. And we get a picture here of the, the world like grapes. And, and in verses 19 and 20, the, the picture turns into reality. And John is talking about those who will make war against God. 
And God is just going to take man or put man into the winepress of his wrath. And what comes out is blood. The blood of men, it says, will run for 1,600 furlongs, which is about 180 miles to about 200 miles. And it says that it reaches the horse's bridle. Again, I'm not a horse guy, so I have to look that up. It's like, oh, it's one of these things. Now, some say that it will be literal, that there will be that much blood. Others say, well, there will be a lot of blood (laughs) that will be splattering up to the horse's bridle. But whichever way it goes, there will be blood tonight. (laughs) In other words. Now, I do have to say that grapes often refer to the nation of Israel as well. And this judgment could be speaking about the, judge, the judgment that will come upon the nation of Israel as he's dealing with them and its people. But whichever the case is, I totally believe that all of this will take place in Israel. The prophet Isaiah and the prophet Joel both had something to say about this harvesting that would come about in regards to the winepress and the wrath of God. And you can jot these down and look at them up a little later for yourself. Isaiah 34, 1 through 3, it says, Come near, you nations, to hear. And heed, you people. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all things that come from it. For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations, and his fury against all their armies. He will utterly destroy them. He has given them over to the slaughter. Also their slain shall be thrown out. Their stench shall rise from the the corpses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. Isaiah 63, 1 through 4. Who is this who comes from Edom? With dyed garments from Basra. This one who is glorious in his apparel. Traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteous mighty to save. Why is your apparel red? And your garments like one who treads the winepress. I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the people... No one has, no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled on my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my, redempt, uh, my redeemed has come. Joel 3, 13 and 14. Put the sickle for the... Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full, the vats overflowing, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Now some would say, what good is is a Bible study like this? 
well, for one, we're going through the Word of God and we cover everything. But I would have to say that, that, that a Bible study like this or a, or a teaching like this gives you a decision to make, a choice to make, to show what side do you really want to be on at the end. At the end of your life, what side do you truly want to be on? Because it shows us what will happen in the future. Many of us in this room have already made that decision to walk with the Lord. And, and, and our, our sins have been judged. We're already in the harvest that will come in and, and, and He will put us on the right side. You're, you're one of His sheep. I understand that. But even with that decision that you've already made, it should again propel you to go and gather in more into the kingdom of God. You see, there's a harvest that is taking place right now, today, where Jesus looks at his creation and he has compassion on them because they look like sheep that have no shepherd. Because sin has separated them from the fold or from, or from the, the flock, he tells his people, His disciples go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He has commissioned us to do that, to go and share the good news with people. Now, chapter 14 of Revelation is the perfect answer to Revelation 13 because it is a vivid and powerful chapter that shows us just how complete the victory and the judgment of God will be. Because he will have the final say in and to everything. At the end of chapter 13, if you were here with us, it almost seems like Satan and the Antichrist win. <laughs> because they, they, they have the, the, the control of this world and this world system with them. And it almost feels like it's not fair. The bad guy wins. As you read at the end of chapter 13. But chapter 14 is right next to it. And again, it, it just reveals to us, no, God is in control. He will have the victory. He will always have the victory. You see, if you get on his side, guess what? You have the victory. You are a conqueror no matter what happens. And so I thank God for chapter 14 because it gives us the vivid picture of what will happen, of who is in total control, and it is our God. He is the one that's in control. The one you pray to, the one you bow down to. Because it shows us who really is going to triumph. Who really is the most powerful. And who really is in control, and that is our God, the one we serve. I want to finish off with this verse in Matthew 10, 28. It says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And I share that at the end here, because only God is in control of all of that. 
and if you know him, that you can rest, that you are his, <laughs> and that one day you will breathe your last. And, and, and he will say, enter into the rest. But for those who have not entered into his rest, they will have no rest. As we have read, even this morning, there will be gnashing, wailing and gnashing of teeth. And they expect only judgment. And our hearts should hurt for that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we truly do come before you, Lord, to just thank you and praise you for your faithfulness. Lord, even as we were studying in chapter 13, Lord God, we're seeing what will happen here on earth, Lord and the powers that be on this earth. And, and, and it looks like they will have victory in so many people's lives, Lord. But none of those people will be able to say that they never heard, that they never had a chance to make that decision. Father, they will have no one to blame but themselves. But we thank you for chapter 14, Lord. We thank you for giving us a picture once again of what it will look like in the end. Lord, you've given us both sides to make that decision. And many in this room have made that decision to walk with you. Many have made that decision to follow after you. Many have made that decision to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Lord. And I thank you for all that. And I pray that we would be consistent in sharing the gospel with those who don't know you. And Father, maybe there are some this morning who feel so far away from you right now, so far, that, that, that they can't even consider themselves Christians anymore. And you brought them here today to remind them, Lord God, that there is hope for them. And maybe there are those who, who don't know you, Lord, who have walked through these doors right now because somebody else invited them <laughs> And Father, today they need to make that decision for you. And so as everyone is praying right now, if that's you, if you're here this morning and you need Jesus in your life, don't let this time escape. There's a window of opportunity for you right now to say, I need Jesus in my life. And if that's you, you just got to raise your hand. It's like, Lord, I want to be part of the harvest that comes in. <laughs> I don't want to be tossed to the side. Is there anyone this morning? Father, I do thank you and praise you, Lord, for that hand right here that's up right now, Lord God. I pray that right now, Lord God, he would understand that <coughs> salvation has come to him just by the simpleness of raising his hand, acknowledging that he needs you right now, Lord God. I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would allow him, Lord God, just to to rest now in the comfort of knowing that his sins were judged on the, on the cross and that he is a new creation. I pray that even as I'm praying over him right now, Lord God, that he would be asking for forgiveness and the newness of heart. Lord, thank you for that word, Lord. And I praise you for that. Lord, go before us now, Lord God, as believers, to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Blessed be your name, Lord, for you are good. 
you've revealed to us, Lord God, the future once again through your word. And we honor you, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.